0: You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702
1: Masterclass. Now, in our Masterclass today, we're talking mountaineering. Now, Remy Kluis has just set two phenomenal records. She is the first South African to ever do a back-to-back double summit of both Mount Everest and the sister peak, Mount Lhotes, in a 24-hour period. And the first South African female to summit, summit Mount Lodz, the fourth highest peak in the world, which is situated next to Mount Everest. Remy is aiming to be the youngest African to climb the seven summits, the highest mountain on each of the seven continents. Now, to date... She has summited six of the seven mountains that make up the seven summits. So it is only appropriate that we have Remy with us today to talk uh, this masterclass on mountaineering. Remy, thank you so, so much for joining us on the show today.
2: Wow, what an introduction. Thank you for having me. It really is all true. (laughs) It really is all true. Uh, So look forward to um, having this chat and, and educating your listeners today about all things mountaineering. All right. So let's
1: start with the very basic and simple question of what is mountaineering?
2: Well, I guess it can be confused a lot. You know, you get trail running, you get hiking, you get uh, rock climbing, and then you get something called high-altitude mountaineering, which is something I'm into. Well, I do a little bit of all the aforementioned, but I'm not really a, 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 a expert on the, the, the others. But the high-altitude mountaineering is basically, um, you know, mountains over 4,000, 5,000 meters And um, they require very specialist gear like crampons, ice axes. And then above 7,000 meters, one would require to take oxygen as well to continue the climb. Um, The highest mountains in the world, there are 14 of them above 8,000 meters. And... um, i don't I don't have a dream to to climb all of those. I think my mom would kill me before one of the mountains would potentially kill me, <laughs> but um, I have my eye on a few of them for sure,
1: okay, okay, so you know you've already mentioned high altitude if somebody is thinking about listen, I hear this crazy talk, I'm interested, but I'm not sure I can go high high altitude. What would we say is considered? the lowest or the easiest mountain to climb and what would be the difference between a mountain and any other sort of hill that a person might consider well i i climbed this particular mountain but it wasn't really a mountain
2: this is a great question because uh you know um i'm not sure if you do much hiking but you know the mountains are a very unpredictable place and they deserve a lot of respect and for me it's quite a spiritual journey as well so I always recommend to people that like you are suggesting, always get the right kind of experience and training. So you want to know, okay, which mountains should I tackle first? So with high altitude mountaineering, I would say I would break it into two different factors. Uh, First, you wanna test whether you're good at altitude because fun fact, no matter how fit you are, uh, altitude can affect anyone, and you could be the fittest person on the planet and really not do well with altitude, so that would immediately kind of end your game there um, and then the other the other component which i 'd say is like you need to get the technical experience uh, mm-hmm. you know coming from Africa. We don't have a lot of snow, so you would need to look abroad, maybe in, in Europe, to do some some peaks that have snow so you can get the right technical experience with crampons, with big boots, with ice axe. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms in terms of altitude, I mean, we've got the most perfect mountain to test that on, and you can guess. Oh, no, please don't make me in, guess. Oh, come on. In, in, in ter, in, in the highest mountain in Africa. In Tanzania. Kili. Kili. Yeah. So, Kili is a beautiful... Uh, if any avid hiker I recommend, go give Kili a, a test. Go go experience her beauty and her greatness. Uh, do, a, do a route that's maybe a bit longer. You can do anything from five to eight days. Maybe stretch it over eight because... She's almost 6,000 meters, so a lot of people, I mean, there have been a few deaths on Kili because of altitude. So go go give her a test, see what your body, how your body adapts to altitude. And if, if it's a beautiful experience, uh, you know, I would say head over to some snowy mountains and get the right technical experience.
1: Okay, so if now, because you've mentioned Um, A person already, you know, being somebody that hikes, so, you know, they probably have the very basics and they've got a little bit of stamina to take on a hike. But when we're talking about, you know, um, I know a couple of people who just decide out of the blue they're going to Summit Kili and do it for charity. That person who is not hiking, pretty much not doing anything, where would they need to start would you say that person needs to just start with the basics of getting some kind of walking stamina and build from there?
2: Yeah, so it would definitely be spot on and it would also depend on where you live. Do you live in Cape Town or Johannesburg? How accessible are the mountains to you? First prize is you want to get out on the trails. You want your body to get used to the movement of hiking. You want to be able to climb pretty steep. So, you want to, you know, I mean, you can do the stepper in the gym. That's a a go to for many people. I don't like the gym. I need to be outdoors, but it's a very good one just to get the stamina of climbing uphill. Put on a weighted pack. There's nothing that they, nothing. is quite like simulating exactly the environment in which you're going to hike in. So put on a way to pack, even if you're in the gym, who cares? I've done it. (laughs) And then, uh, you want to walk in your shoes as well. So you probably get a a shoe with a little bit of ankle support. Um, and then you want to break it in. You want to test it out. Um, I remember when I was pretty much a novice when I climbed Kilimanjaro and I, I was based in Joburg at the time and I bought my shoes. I was so proud of them. I wore them out um, in Maboneng, in, you know, in town. Yes. I went out with these hiking shoes. <laughs> Just, you know, I, there was no way that I was going to get a blister out there because those little things, you know, they can really ruin a, a, ruin a trip. So, you know, you want to get the right gear and equipment um, as well. So, uh, you luckily enough, you know, hiking and Kilimanjaro is is uh, – has got no, it's not very technical. So it's one step in front of the next. And we're all blessed to have two strong legs that can take us to the summers and, uh, yeah, just put them to use, put them to use in, in every single way possible. All right. So, I still
1: have to ask you the big why and how you got into it. But I want us to take a break and of course invite all of you that are listening, O double one double eight three oh seven oh two in the WhatsApp line, O seven two seven oh two one seven oh two. Any questions you may have for our guest Remy um, regarding mountaineering basically 101. Maybe you want to get started or maybe you also would like to summit some of the mountains that she has summited or want to know where to get started. Share your experiences as well. It's 16 minutes after 2. Masterclass. In our masterclass today, we're talking about mountaineering and we're speaking to mountaineer Remy Kluz. Who has done some phenomenal things, and uh, we actually started up the conversation with the part of getting started. But Remy, I really want to know when did the bug bite you? What is the thing that is so thrilling in terms of mountaineering? Because for many people, it's it sounds like torture. And then maybe share with us your journey in getting started.
2: Sure. I mean, you know, it's I love this question because many people think, you know. Uh, for someone who's just summited Everest and Mount Lati, you know, mountains and mountaineering have been something in my life since, you know, since I was walking, but that's not quite the case. Um I was living in Joburg uh for five, six years prior to 2017. And so as you know, there the mountains aren't that accessible. Um I've come from a past of suffering from um mental health battles like depression and anxiety. And it was in 2016 when I had reached an all-time low in my life and I knew I didn't want to go back to a dark place. And for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's Africa's charm, but I just had this calling to climb Kilimanjaro. Um, So within a few months, I I was standing on the roof of Africa. It was the 1st of January, 2017, and... I knew from that moment that there was this soulful connection to the mountains and that this was going to be something very, very big in my life. And that's how my my journey started.
1: And I think it is so um, just courageous of you, number one, of tackling head on a challenge that you are facing. You know, we here on 702 Afternoons in the station understand very much how mental health is a massive priority for many people so I'm so, so happy for you that you were able to found, to find the solace that you needed in climbing because I, I definitely can imagine just by virtue of the fact that you are out, outdoors, you're getting some sunlight, you're exactly. breathing in fresh air that in itself has its healing energies and properties. So having gone through that experience and then deciding, okay, I feel like I need to climb Kilimanjaro. Were you already a relatively active person or were you pretty much starting from scratch?
2: I would say I was an adventurous person. I, I had the sense of adventure within me. Um, I kind of lost it along the way, but as a kid, I was always outdoors, very adventurous. So it's kind of in my blood, I would say. Um, and then I wasn't inactive let me just say I was pretty normal in the middle (laughs) yes um but I saw within a couple months I trained up and I I it's it's very strange it's hard to explain but when I'm out on the mountains and I felt this from day one with Kilimanjaro something takes over me and I have this strength within me that is kind of I don't know where it comes from. You know, for example, there's this on expedition, um uh we you know, we've been climbing for weeks and weeks. This is the Everest and Nazi expedition. Um and all you know, we're in the dining tent and we're given this really, really spicy soup. Mm. And I'm now like struggling to eat this soup, really, really struggling. Spice is not my thing. And one of the, the men turned to me, one of my climbing partners, and he said to me, Remy, this is the first time I've seen you struggling on all, on the whole entire expedition. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I don't know where it comes from. I'm pretty, um, you know, alternative. I don't have a watch. I don't track my stats. I know what works for my body. And I know how to channel the power of my surroundings to make me stronger and climb faster and better. So... So I was pretty normal going into Kilimanjaro. Obviously, you need to put in the training, um, yes, and and without a doubt with every mountain. Uh, but that's kind of a little backstory as to like my connection to the mountains. Um, I don't know if we went off track there. But no, no, no,
1: I think it's great that you are sharing this because at the end of the day, every single person is is different. And the reality is, um, you know, you spoke about knowing your body, not having a, a watch and sharing um, your particular journey. Everybody's journeys are different. There are some of the fittest individuals who don't make it, you know, trying to summit. And those who have barely done a thing and, cu- and come back and are okay. Um, and I think you speaking particularly from the perspective of what it took for you mentally to do what you're doing makes – the physical requirements seem so much more possible. I'm wondering how expensive would you say it is to become a mountaineer because some of that um, gear that you need or the specific uh, thermal wear and, and all of those things to protect you uh, might not be very cheap. <laughs>
2: It's, it's not a cheap sport, <laughs> that's for sure. It's taken me years and years. And right at the beginning with my Kilimanjaro trip, I rented gear. I rented, you know, the hard shelves. I rented uh, even a sleeping bag and a pole, to be honest. And that's I, there's so many good places you can do that, and I would really recommend doing that to, to start off. And then every year with each mountain – I bought something new. Um, a few things I've got given. Um, now I've got sponsors and all of that. And so it's a journey. Everything about mountaineering is a journey.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: Um. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what would you say? Maybe some of the
1: clothing um, that might get overlooked. That in de- that you would say to the listeners: Listen, I know, for example, a K-way might seem very expensive, but this is what it's great for. What are those clothing items and even gear that people might overlook, but desperately need when they're climbing?
2: Yeah, good question. And a lot of misconceptions, um, are around, you know, that you need this really big, huge, massive jacket and massive pants, kind of like a skiing outfit, you know, to keep you warm. But, and mountaineering, that's very much not the case. You, it's, it's, it's a layering system, so you within minutes you can go from extreme heat because of the snow reflect the sun reflecting on the snow to extreme cold when uh, maybe a cloud comes over and the wind picks up. So you need to be able to layer up and layer down in a matter of minutes. So you you know thermals are great, like you mentioned, and then you um, would have you know a soft shell, very good soft shell to go over that. Um, and a couple, you know, maybe a synthetic down jacket, and then you would layer up with a hard shell and then, um, you know, go bigger on top. Um, in terms of an imperative item, it's kind of like a puzzle piece. A, you know, each item is a piece of a puzzle, you need them all to be kind of complete. Mm. Um, something that's very important is always to keep your head warm because you lose heat through your head, so a beanie is always good. Uh, or even like a a peak cap sometimes, just that little bit of heat retention is good. Um, Even layering on on your hands with liner gloves, and you would layer up as well to more um, hardy gloves as well. So I don't know if I could isolate one specific uh, piece of clothing, Uh, but maybe I would say something that's really overlooked is the heat, to be honest, on the mountains So I would say a good sun sun hoodie. So it's like a really light cotton, long sleeve top that has a little hood that you can just flip over your cap and really protect your face from the sun. I cannot tell you how many of my teammates' faces are burnt to pieces. Mm, mm. (laughs) Um, Luckily, coming from Africa, I have a little experience, you know, with the heat and what it's like. So I'm not burnt, but it really can be something that's overlooked on the mountains.
1: So, you know, whenever I am watching um, people's summit, not many are able to really share in detail the stories of the realities of mountaineering. But I always think to myself, especially for a woman, if you need to go to the toilet, you know, you literally are exposing <laughs> your whole rear end. <laughs> and it must exactly. be freezing compared to a man who just has to like unzip his pants. How do you deal with, you know, personal care, hygiene, um, using, in inverted commas, bathrooms while you are summiting?
2: I love this question. Mountaineers is all we speak about. <laughs> so, um, so lots of women use shiwis. I uh, don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a sort of device it- that allows you I think, is it the one that you
1: sort of like you put between your legs to help you direct the urine and be able to do it yes. standing like a man?
2: exactly okay exactly. yes I so know some <laughs> women use that Some women use that I don't personally um and you so basically also in in your tents you always have some sort of pee bottle, even the men, because at night. You do not leave your tent. It is not feasible to leave your tent. If you need a pee in the night, you go in your tent and you have a pee bottle. So that's pretty pretty standard for everyone. And um, okay, wait, I need to ask a question
1: about this pee bottle. Let's just have have a, have a have a quick conversation, right? So is. It, <laughs> I mean, how wide is the room of this pee bottle? Because the <laughs> dynamics and the logistics for us women very different. And what if you need to do a little bit more than urinating?
2: Yes. So, no, the, the, the pee bottle is great. It's actually, I use a Nalgene bottle and most women use it. And the mountaineers will be familiar with the term Nalgene bottle. You can get them now in most outdoor um, stores, it's actually a water bottle, but it's durable. It takes boiling water, it takes cold water. So you you need to be very careful. You need to have like a bright red, um, you know, pea bottle because it looks the same as your drinking bottles. And it's about a liter. <laughs> about Don't a liter. <laughs> make that mistake. <laughs> no, I've heard I've heard a few horror stories around that. So, um. So, yeah, and the, 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 the nozzle is really wide, so it's very easy and seamless. I've had no issues, um, luckily. Um, and, you know, so basically if you need to go for number two, you need to get out the tent, and there's generally a hole dug close by, um, and you'll make your way there, and everyone has a designated place where they, where they go, and you'll empty your pee bottle there as well. It's not just like, you know, you can go anywhere on the mountain. Because we need to keep the mountains clean And all of that Yes. So so that is fabul- fabulous I mean on some mountains Not the case with Everest But on um, Antarctica And Denali all, uh, Which is the highest mountain I mean Mount Vincent in Antarctica Is the highest in Antarctica And Denali is the highest in North America With both those national parks uh, All waste needed to be Bought off the mountains So what? you keep in <gasps> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you poop in like a biodegradable bag, and then you keep that bag. <laughs> but the but, but everything freezes. It's completely fine. R- Remy,
1: I need us to no. pause this moment because I've got many questions. We need to quickly go to eyewitness news headlines. But you have to carry your poo down. <laughs> yeah. Okay. To be continued. It's just after two thirty. 702. Masterclass. Our masterclass for today is on mountaineering, and we're speaking to mountaineer Remy Kluss. And before we headed over to Eyewitness News headlines, Remy let me know that one of the mountains she climbed, you were not allowed to leave your poop behind. Remy, you still haven't. Yeah, ish, yeah, I was like laughing the entire time when ads were playing and during new, uh, news, but share with us what the reason is, again, that you can't leave your poop behind. And I'm assuming, like you said, the bag, it's not like it's going to smell or anything. It just freezes up and becomes
2: biodegradable. Yes, exactly. Um So with Antarctica, I mean, you can, uh, so it was in two of the mountains, it was in Alaska and in Antarctica. You can imagine uh, what a human waste would do to a a continent like Antarctica. Um, So it's leave no trace. It's really, we want to keep these places, these national parks as pristine as possible. And um, it's basically, yeah, just that attitude. Um, It's a rule and, you know, got to abide by it. And, yeah, it's pretty, it is it is a hilarious topic. And believe me, as mountaineers, poop stories are occurring on the daily. I can (laughs) imagine. But it's just, that's, that's the beauty of it one of the many beautiful things about well (laughs) about mountaineering is that there's no pretense you know it doesn't matter who you are male female ceo um you know young woman old woman everyone's the same everyone's on the same field uh striving for the same dream and we're just all humans on this this earth doing our thing you know so if you need a poop it's gonna happen everyone talks about it and you just get on with it
1: so so yeah let's let's address altitude sickness on a more serious note you know what are some of the symptoms that a person can experience
2: sure so there are two types of altitude sicknesses you get hAPE and HACE so hAPE is high altitude pulmonary edema and then HACE is high altitude cerebral edema so one affects the lungs and one affects the brain and it's basically the build-up of fluid on either the lungs or the brain. And the build-up of fluid around the lungs is somewhat manageable. You just need to drop down uh, as fast as possible. So symptoms will be, um, you know, headache, you'll be fatigued, you'll feel sleepy. Um, Those are the symptoms. And then Similar with the cerebral edema when it affects the brain, but you'll start to lose cognitive function. So there are simple tests you can do. You can ask a climber to, you know, stretch out their arms and tap their shoulders. And if they kind of miss their shoulders um, and they're not making sense, they're speaking funny, uh, you know, it's high altitude cerebral edema. And those climbers will need to be evacuated immediately by helicopter.
1: Yes, to, yes, yeah, to a hospital. And that definitely sounds uh, quite serious, but is there any way of preempting if you're going to be sensitive to it or you only know when, once you're there?
2: Well, by this time, I'm hoping we would have climbed a few mountains and you're kind of used to how your body adapts to altitude. The simplest thing is drinking water, a lot, a lot of water. So prior to a climb, a few days, you want to be drinking at least three to four liters. While you're trekking in, you want to be drinking again at least four liters. I don't know the science behind that, but the water helps. Um, there are certain things, certain tablets you can take, um, but uh, it really just masks the symptoms. So I don't take any of them. And they do, they are usually a diuretic. So you'll end up peeing more, which yes. we've already discussed. Cast, that you know it's not exactly ideal to, yeah. as a woman to like now want needing to go to the bathroom even more, so I, do, I and they make your fingers all tingly. So I stay away from that. Um, it's just you know the you just got to take it day by day and just be really in tune with your body. Let's
1: quickly go to the lines, and we've got some callers. You can also give us a call on 011 double one double eight three zero seven zero two, or use the WhatsApp line o seven two seven zero two one seven zero two for any of your questions or comments. We have Emmanuel in Pretoria. Hi, Emmanuel.
0: Hello, Randy. Really, how are you? Good, thanks. And you? I'm well, thank you. Firstly, congratulations to Any as well. I recently um, started following her after I so saw a few headlines because I've also summited on Kitty and. Yeah, it's a whole different ballgame. But I do wanted to say, um, I've been encouraging a lot of my South African friends that it's so possible because I'm just a casual hiker and um I've been doing a few hikes obviously around the province and in the northwest, but I mean nothing serious. And I had to go on Killy for a work project for a certain media outlet, for a climate change story, and I had literally five weeks to prepare and I made it, you know. Wow, eight days later and it was just so shocking. It's life changing psychologically speaking as well. Came back a different man, you know. Now walk in the rain as if, you know. Previously, you'd not walk in the rain. You'd be like ah, it's I'm gonna get wet. Ah. But once you've been on Killy and you've been through all the climate zones and everything, you've just walked in the rainforest with the rain drenching you. It's nothing.
1: Emmanuel, it's nothing. I love how you say came back a changed man. I was imagining you being <laughs> like, now I mop in the house, I do the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's, right. That's what
0: happened. I'm you. Everything else is like so small. You're like, ah, oh, dang, you don't want to do this. Let's just do this and get it over and done with. Everything seems so small now. You know, it's just, so, so it gave attitude. you perspective. Okay.
1: It gave you perspective. Exactly. exactly. Oh, exactly. man, that's and so beautiful. i really like to
0: encourage a lot of other people, especially South Africans, because it was quite lonely out there with everybody from France, Russia, Germany, and, you know, English. <laughs> thing. Like, ah, where are my people at? Um, so, yeah, I'm encouraging a lot of South Africans to just try and also um, sign up. I mean, uh, literally five weeks for me to prepare, five weeks for me to research, and it's just about finding the right Trekking company and knowing um, Everything you need, like Ren said All the technical gear and whatnot. But I mean, once you're all prepped Just go there, do it, it's doable Yeah
1: oh, Emmanuel, the ambassador for climbing Kelly. Thank you so much, Ruby. Thank what are, you are your it. thoughts On what Emmanuel had to say?
2: Oh, it's so great To hear the passion in Emmanuel's Voice, I love it, I love it That's what the mountains do to you I promise you but um, it's very accurate and I heard Emmanuel say that he did it in the eight days, which I also recommended. You want to stretch it over eight days and not do it any shorter for Kilimanjaro. But that's the beauty about the mountains is really, it's the, the power of your presence that's ultimately going to get you through and that's the most pivotal lesson that i try to take back from the mountains to our daily life because if it was up to me i would live in the mountains for forever but that's not really a reality uh back in you know cape town johannesburg it's all this buzz it's a lot happening and it's we often get taken out of the present moment we're always worrying about the past or thinking what what will happen in the future but really it's in the mountains is the power of your presence that's going to get you through. You need to focus on one step in front of the next. Mm. You can't think about where you're going or where you've come from. And it's that moment where you're able to enter into this flow state and you're able to push your body and to really, really live. Mm. And I think that is why mountains are so empowering and inspiring for people because it's a sense of accomplishment, but the sense of like, all the hassle that you thought was hassle back home is not actually a hassle. And that's what Emmanuel was saying as well. It's just like, and then you so rightly reiterated, it's everything about perspective, you know, and that's what mountains really, really give you in the most hypnotic setting that you can imagine. I mean, surrounded by nature, different climate zones, snow, everything. Mm. And it's just such a bar- powerful platform to experience life.
1: Let's go to the lines. We have Humera in Midstream. Hi. Uh,
3: hi. Yes, go ahead. Yes. Um, hello. Good afternoon. Mm. Yes, um, I climbed in 1996. Um, and I was... Was it also Kili? Kili Yes. Yeah, there were 11 of us and uh, i must say that we were not prepared all that we knew was that we had a lot of mountains in our own private lives to climb and my mountain was the 50th i'm crossing over and other people had very very life-changing challenges um so i remember one of the guys actually had considered uh, a suicide and we all decided if we can climb the highest mountain, if we can conquer the highest mountain in Africa, we can conquer anything else. Mm. And that's what we did. And hence we took the most difficult route. Um, it took us five days to climb and we used the Coca-Cola route to, to ascend, which is just one day. So um, it was... Really, we had a lot of lessons um, that we got from uh, climbing the mountain. Firstly, that uh, they say pole pole gives you luck on the Mm. mountain. So you have to be um, very patient. You can't rush because you run out of oxygen. Mm. So uh, I think in every language, in every religion, they tell you to be patient. Mm. And uh, when you climb Kilimanjaro, that's where patience really pays. Yes.
1: Well, listen, congratulations. At 50 years old, that is absolutely phenomenal and not really having trained. um, Thank you so, so much for sharing your story with us. Let's go to Modek in Johannesburg CBD. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. And you? Good, good. So um, I
0: just wanted to congratulate uh, Remy on her achievement. Um, We used to work together at um, Point before she left. I don't know if she still remembers me
1: hey remy yeah
2: yeah i can hear you thank you that is awesome what a what a treat to to receive your congratulations
0: <laughs> no no problem i i, I also just have one question for you i know in the office environment you're not too too well adapted to the cold um how do you then manage that when you go to um the the peaks of mountains because there it, it's very really cold so what, what advice do you have for people uh, <laughs>
2: oh my gosh this is hilarious yes oh my gosh the air conditioning in our office at growth point was horrendous i'm sure it's in all corporate spaces it's always that struggle where the females are like putting their temperatures up and the males are like putting it down but that's very accurate um so on the mountain you know you've got the right technical gear to keep you warm and Uh, when I'm climbing with the body moving the whole time, you generate quite a lot of heat. Um, So I managed to stay warm. But in Antarctica, I did manage to get some frostbite on a couple of my fingers. So this was in January of this year. Um, And I was the only one in my team to, to get that. And I don't know how it happened, but maybe I also have a little bit of issues with circulation but um luckily uh, the temperatures on everest and lhotse this year were uh pretty manageable i also managed to have some heated gloves um which uh which was a game changer as well so i i i managed to make my way <laughs>
1: thank you so so much uh for that call and i think that must have been absolutely uh painful uh for you uh on your hands because i always wondered to myself when you start to feel like you're really cold are you not get just getting yourself warmer how does it reach the point that you that you start to have frostbite yeah you I, I, interesting question i
2: mean I didn't even realize it was happening, to be honest. I mean, some of my teammates, I mean, okay, they are from Russia. So maybe <laughs> maybe they, they they were a little bit more you know, used to the cold as opposed to this African girl just doing her thing in Antarctica. But they, they had their gloves off in the summer taking photos, and I never had my hands exposed. Um, so I'm not quite sure how it happened. But as soon as I got back to high camp and I removed my gloves, four of my fingers had like this white tip to them and I realized that that in that moment that this wasn't too good so it wasn't full-on frostbite where you know it went black because that's actually when you can't get the, the can't really get the blood to return so then as soon as I got back down to base camp treated the fingers had to dress them put aloe gel on um had them all bound up and I actually lost like the nails to those fingers and everything because the <sighs> skin died but are <laughs> oh, they did yeah, they I come just, back <laughs> Should... yes they're back they all, they're back oh i'm so relieved for you yes <laughs> okay okay um so it wasn't it was a reminder to just be absolutely you self-care on the mountain so important you have to always check in on your fingers wiggle your toes make sure everything's okay
1: we've got a voice note that's come through on our whatsapp line
2: Good afternoon, and your guest. I just wanted to find out if the, there is or there are any medical conditions that may inhibit you from mountaineering. Thank you so much, Terry. Bye. All right, did you did you hear that, Remy? Yes, any medical conditions? Yes. that would pro- prohibit. Um, you know, yeah, people are just so inspiring these days. They, they were climbers out there with um, amputations, yeah. you know, climbing with you know no hand or no leg or whatever with support, obviously. Um, so I'm not obviously not a doctor or experience. I don't have much experience with different types of medical conditions. But I'm assuming if you had sort of some sort of spinal problems, you know, could be challenging. Or, you know, if you had really bad epilepsy, I'm assuming that could be dangerous as well. Um, so it would probably depend on the the, the the degree of the medical condition. But, you know, so many people are achieving so many incredible things these days. Um, and, you know, it's just like the mental health as well, you know, not letting it define you and just... You know, trying your best to do what you can mm. And just trying and giving it a go You know, that's that's all we can do
1: And I think so ideally well, ideally, Anybody that is considering If you do have any pre-existing medical conditions Is to just go and Consult with your GP or specialist Or physician so that they can give you A go-ahead or maybe advise on How to better prep
2: 100% You need to get a sign-off by your doctors Most companies you've with with would, would require that um and exactly always consult a physician i mean they're there also before expedition i take with a lot of different medications in case of anything and everything and that's standard everyone has their medical aid kit and first aid kit because you want to be completely is self-sufficient up there that, well, for me, I want to be. And so I want to be have all knowledge on the different medications that I need to take in case something happens. And you want to have that on you at all times. We've got a WhatsApp from Robert in Houghton, who says,
1: hey, nice masterclass. We climbed Kilimanjaro in 2019. It was the most difficult thing for me ever, but we made it, especially the Barranca Wall, as I'm afraid of heights. No desire to do Everest, though, we will stick to the Drakensberg. Thank you so much for that message. We need to wrap up the conversation. I can't believe there's so many things we didn't get through. What are your final thoughts, Aremi, on mountaineering?
2: Oh, wow. What are my final thoughts? How, do we have another hour, please? I wish.
1: <laughs> we literally have like 20 seconds.
2: <laughs> okay. Okay. So, for me, mountains, you know, they've been a platform for me to communicate my message and to empower and inspire. So, it's always when tackling a mountain, you want to check in with yourself. What is your why? Why are you doing this? Um, how can we, you know, impact? Um, impact, you know, people and as well as also just make a difference in the environment in which we're climbing. And I just, it's so inspiring to hear everyone's Kilimanjaro stories and it seems like, you know, the mountains really do have this ability to transform people's lives. So I really hope more people can climb and contact me, reach out to me. I'm happy to answer more questions and just sending so much love. Thank you so, so much, Rumi
1: Clues, Mountaineer.